If there was a way that we as the church could figure out, I think, how to believe the words of that song in every moment of our lives, I think it would change us. You know, what happens, we beat ourselves up because we convince ourselves that God can't really love all of us. If God really knew us, then He wouldn't love us. And yet, the simple truth is that Jesus loves us. And that Jesus does know all of us, even those dark secrets that we don't want anyone else to know, that Jesus loves us in spite of that. And then what we're going to read today is a story about this dramatic transformation that's rooted in the unconditional love of God. And so I hope that as we sing that song, as you read this story, that we don't just marvel at the amazing love of God that is, that is out there and is up there. You know, we talk about how amazing God's love is for everybody else. But that as you think about this, as you listen to this, that what you hear is that that amazing love of God is poured out upon you. And that the unconditional grace of God is given to you as well. And that Jesus loves you. And He loves me. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, You love us. You made us in Your image and You loved us then. And today, as even though sin may stain that image, You love us still. You love us and You long for the best for us and so you redeem us and you call us by name and you look upon us and you say that we are yours and so Lord as we open up and read your word as I speak I pray Lord God that your spirit will do a mighty work within us that the reality of your love and the depth of your claim on our lives will be made real to us that we will be amazed, that we will be in awe, that we may worship, that our roots may grow a little deeper into you, that our lives may be a little stronger in you, that our faith and our hope and our joy may be a little brighter in you. Amen. So we turn today to one of the more famous stories of the Bible. This is the conversion of Saul. And what we're going to talk about, especially towards the end, is that the conversion of Saul, labeling it that, leaves off a very important character. Because it's the conversion of Saul and this really bold risk of Ananias. But Ananias kind of gets short shrift in the headlines. But we're going to talk about Saul, we're going to talk about Ananias, and what this means to us as disciples of the living God. So this is the ninth chapter of Acts, verses 1, I'm going to go through verse 22. And so Saul, just for a little background, Saul's introduced to us in, we, had, we talked about the stoning of Stephen, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we have Saul approving of the stoning of Stephen. And so Saul just kind of enters stage left. And he's just kind of standing there. 
approving of all of this. But then he goes on in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. Sounds like a great guy, right? Let's invite him to the next potluck. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, this would be Christians, the way being the, the, what they would call the church, if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days... He was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? 
Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Radical transformation. Being a, a father of young children, we spend a lot of time at the doctor. It becomes kind of a, a personal friend at this point when you're going every few months. And so, you know, we take our kids to the doctor and we kind of hand them to the doctor and say, can you fix this? You know, it's often just runny noses and stuffed up ears and things. And so the doctor looks at, uh, looks at our children and says, boy, that's really tough luck, but I'm not going to do anything. That'd be crazy, right? And the doctor, we take him to the doctor with the expectation that if the doctor has the capability, they'll cure the child. I mean, when you and I go to the doctor, we have the same thing. If the doctor knows how to fix us, we expect them to do so. Same thing with a car mechanic, right? When your car breaks down, you have it taken to the mechanic. And if they can figure out what's wrong, you expect them to fix it. And the great thing about the mechanic is that you learn a whole new world of economics because it always costs four times more than you thought it would. And so often it's very, very expensive to fix, but if they know what's wrong, they can almost always fix the problem. We expect this out of our mechanics. We expect this out of our doctors. So wouldn't even more we expect this from God? If there is problems, we expect God to do everything He can to restore those problems. Right? That when we go to God and pour ourselves out, we expect that if God is able, and we believe that God is able, we expect God to restore to reach out, to promote healing. And so, what we find in Scripture is a God who is constantly reaching out to restore the problems in humanity, to restore what is wrong with society. And what we learn throughout the Old Testament is that sin continues to be a problem. And eventually, what we discover is how high the price is. Is That in order to fully pay for the price of sin, that God sends His Son, Jesus Christ. So that we can be restored to God. So that sin can be forgiven. So that peace and hope may be restored. What we find is that God is able to restore. That God is willing to forgive. And so we come to the story of Saul. And Saul was not a good person. Saul thought he was. But Saul, if there was ever anyone in the history of the Bible who deserved to be struck down by a lightning bolt from God, it would be Saul. Right? That God would just look down and say, well, we can get rid of Saul. I mean, the Christian church is in its early phases. It's just figuring out how to be the church. It's being persecuted. It's struggling along. It needs all the help it can get. People are afraid. 
The church is it's like that, that first flower that's poking up through the mulch. And then you, there's this threat of, of freeze and snow. And you wonder if it can survive. And we look at the early church and we wonder the same thing. Can it really survive this? And Saul comes along and he's ravaging the church, we're told. He's breathing threats and murder in, in verse 1 we read. That Saul is doing everything he can to snuff out the life of the early church. And if there was ever anyone in the Bible that God could just get rid of, it would have been Saul. But God is a restorer of lost souls. God is one who longs to heal. God is one who longs to reach out and bring back in. And so God does this dramatic conversion in the life of Saul. You know, there's Saul on the road to Damascus. He's going there to arrest the Christians in Damascus and to bring them back to Jerusalem to have them put on trial. And God appears in this blinding light. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what we learn from that is that basically Jesus Christ says that when you persecute the church, you persecute God himself. God takes this personally. And yet even still, rather than punish Saul, God wants to redeem him. But first, Saul's vision is taken away from him. And what we get this, this vision of is this man who was strong and, and confident in what he was doing is blind and being led by the hand to Damascus. And so we have this dramatic conversion story. Right? The road to Damascus is kind of the archetype of conversion stories. We still hear people talking about it today. And there's something uh, that inside people that, that longs for this dramatic story to tell. That we all want this story like Saul. And if we don't have a story like Saul, often what we do is we denigrate our own story because we believe it isn't so dramatic. We compare ourselves to Saul. And there's all sorts of other similar conversion stories in the world today. People whose lives have just gone off the rails, but then were dramatically brought back. And people inside the church who have always been inside the church struggle to know, how do we compare to that? Because we compare ourselves. But what we forget is that there are two sides to Saul's conversion. Because for every story of Saul, there needs to be a story of Ananias. Because Saul doesn't work this out by himself. And so Ananias, who's a faithful member of the church, about whom we don't know much else, but Ananias is the one who's willing to take Saul by the hand. And willing to lead him through this part of his life. So Saul, for three days, he cannot see. For three days, he neither eats nor drinks. Three days. Three days, Jesus Christ was in the tomb. He was raised to new life. For three days, Saul was blind, neither eats nor drinks. And then Ananias comes along and helps Paul take the next step on his journey to new life. 
Ananias shows up and he touches Saul. He lays hands on Saul and Saul's vision is restored. Ananias reaches out in boldness. Remember, the Christians in Damascus would have been terrified that Saul was on his way there. But God sends Ananias and says, trust me, reach out, bring Saul into the community, and I will use him. I will use him as my chosen instrument to bring my name before Gentiles. And so I think there are two chapters of this story that we need to hear. And the first is that we need to hear about God's unconditional love, about God's willingness to heal, about God's desire to restore. For all of those things that we have in our life, those things that we believe are too big for God to forgive, those things that we believe God cannot love, we, like Saul, need to hear God's voice of restoration need to hear God's voice of grace. We need to hear God reaching out to us, offering us a new vision for our life. God is saying there is no obstacle too big. I can forgive. I can restore you. We need to hear that message of forgiveness for ourselves, but we also need to hear the call to Ananias. Because what we need to recognize is there, there are people all around us to whom God is speaking. There are people all around us that God wants to restore to the Christian community. That God wants to renew, to bring into a new chapter of their life. That God wants to reach out with a message of grace to them. In essence, they are blind to the faith in Jesus Christ. And that God wants to use the people in the church, the Ananiases in the world, to go to them, to lay hands on them, to pray for them, to pray with them, so that their vision may be restored. That they may join the chorus of witnesses who are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We need to see ourselves as those who are forgiven. And we need to see ourselves as those whom God calls to invite others into this new way of life, into transformation, into new vision. We are being forgiven constantly and we are being called constantly into a new way of life be evangelists, to be disciples, to be a community of people together. We need to be Saul and we need to be Ananias. All wrapped up together and the grace of God covers us all. For God restores, God redeems, God heals. God reaches out. There are none who are beyond the reach and the forgiveness of God. And so when we see our friends and our neighbors and our members in our community, may we see them as people to whom God is reaching out. And may we be willing to join with them in prayer to invite them into a new way of life. Let us pray. Gracious God, you call us. You call us into community to be the church together. 
And so, Lord, we pray that we may hear the message of forgiveness. And we pray that we may hear this vision for new life. That we may hear your call to go forth and lay hands on our brothers and sisters. And invite them to see clearly that you are Lord. And invite them to join us in the proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Of Jesus Christ, redeemer of the world. Of Christ, of healer. You redeem and you restore. May we expect to see the way that you reach out to all people. May we expect to see you on the move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.